The title of today's sermon is Ultra MAGA Christian Nationalism. Ultra MAGA Christian Nationalism. These terms have become terms of derision, terms of attack, terms of assault. And who are they describing? And let's add one more word, ultra MAGA, white Christian nationalism. Who are they describing? Well, you don't have to be white to be guilty of being an ultra MAGA, white Christian nationalist. You can be white, you can be brown, you can be black or some shade thereof. For I don't know anyone who's truly white, although some of you are candidates. <laughs> but most of us are some shade in between. Who are these ultra-maga white Christian nationalists? And are they the great threat to democracy that we hear that they are? And let me ask you this. Are you hearing that they are a great threat to democracy, that they are a great threat, in fact, the greatest threat to America and democracy today? If you're not hearing it, it's because you're not listening to the leftist propaganda on all of the mainstream media. I challenge you to tune in from time to time to the leftist propaganda on all the mainstream media, and you will hear again and again and again that you are an enemy of the state, that you are an enemy of freedom, that you are a threat to democracy, that you are a threat to the Constitution, that you are a threat, even a terrorist. You, I say, who are you? You are a Christian. Whatever color your skin might be, if you are a Bible-believing Christian today, then leftist tyrants and their servants are accusing you of being an ultra-maga white Christian nationalist. A danger to the future of America. The greatest threat to democracy. If you believe in God, truly, the God of the Bible, then you are an ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, no matter what color you are. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, you are an ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, according to the leftist tyrants who are coming for you if they have their way. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ truly, then you are an ultra-maga white Christian nationalist and a danger to democracy. Oh, hear this point. If you believe the law of God is the moral standard and should be the moral standard of our land, then you are a very dangerous, ultra-maga, white Christian nationalist, regardless of the color of your skin. If you believe that men are men and women are women, and men do not become women and women do not become men, and Men who declare themselves to be women are not superior to actual biological women. Then you are, most definitely, a very dangerous, ultra-maga, white Christian nationalist, despite the color of your skin. If you believe marriage is one man and one woman for life, under God, by God's design, you are a bigoted Ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, regardless of the color of your skin. If you believe that evil, vile men and women who call themselves teachers should not be free from K to 12 to teach boys and girls that they're not really boys or not really girls, and to usher them with or without parental consent over to the local Planned Parenthood to have their bodies mutilated chemically and surgically, then you are most definitely an incredibly dangerous ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, no matter what the color of your skin is. If you believe that life starts at conception and that God is the author of life, and that taking that life from conception until the Lord takes that life through natural death or accident or other cause is murder, then you are an ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, no matter what the color of your skin is. If you will call abortion not a woman's right, or a greater fiction, a woman's constitutional right, or a birthing person, an even greater fiction, a birthing person's constitutional right, if you won't call 
<laughs> abortion a birthing person's constitutional right, but instead call it murder, then you are most definitely a dangerous, ultra-maga white Christian nationalist, no matter what the color of your skin is. And the leftist tyrants currently in power are coming for you and your children. Now, I could go on, but I've got a lot to preach. I am a leftist tyrant's nightmare. I am the boogeyman under the leftist tyrant's bed because I am a Bible-believing Christian. Whatever name they want to call me, whatever title they want to give me, what they're doing is trying to marginalize, then criminalize, then terrorize, simultaneously making us terrorists and coming to terrorize us. And so know the world you live in. Know the time you live in. And do not retreat. Do not retreat. Advance. Do not cower. Stand up. Do not fall silent. Speak out. Now is the time to stand up for Jesus. Ultramaga. Christian nationalism. Pastor, can you find that in your Bible? Yes, I can. In one of my most favorite verses, Matthew 28, 18-20. Look there. Matthew 28, 18-20. Our King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who conquered sin, Satan, and death, and rose again on the third day, before He ascended, He commanded Christian nationalism on a local and global level. Now, we will read the text and I'll expound it briefly and we'll move on to other texts. But let me say this. It sickens me that so many conservative, otherwise biblical pastors and Christians are retreating in the face of this leftist tyrant attack and this, this title. Oh my, they're calling us Christian nationalists. Oh my. I'm not a Christian nationalist. I condemn Christian nationalism. My Christianity has nothing to do with nationalism, our nation, United States of America. I hate the flag. Oh, I love our nation. I love our flag. I'm wearing, for those listening to this sermon later, I'm wearing the flag as a tie today, which is somewhat an affront to me, because the flag should be lifted high and honored as a symbol of our nation. For the Lord raises up nations, and He says to fear God and honor the King. And our King, in the earthly sense, is the Constitution. And our flag represents our Constitution and our nation and those who suffered and died to give us this Constitution and this nation and the freedoms we so enjoy and take for granted like spoiled children. And so many of these Christians are like spoiled children, taking for granted the freedoms they enjoy and ready to give up more and more freedom to those who come accusing us of bad names. Oh my, Christian nationalist. Well, I'm ready to wear it like a merit badge. Yes, I was a Boy Scout. I'll, I'll pin that one on too. Christian Nationalist. You know, I wasn't a Christian when I was a Boy Scout. I was a rebel sinner. And I went through the God and Country merit badge, where a sweet old man taught me about God and country. God bless him. God and country. <gasps> Christian nationalism. We met as Boy Scouts in a church where a sweet old Christian man taught this unregenerate rebel sinner about God and country. And somehow I got the God and country merit badge. I didn't deserve it. But today, by the grace of God, I'll wear it boldly. Oh yes, Christian nationalist, my hand is raised high. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the absolute authority. The authority above all authorities, above all nations, above all kings, above all governments, all presidents, all authority has been given to me, says Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Nations. We aim too small. Oh, I want individuals to be saved. Yes, every man, every woman, every child. But do we not want nations to be saved? Did Jesus not want nations to be saved? Will Jesus not bring every nation to its knees before him? He will. Is our mission not to save the nations? It is. Don't fear the accusations of leftist tyrants who hate God and hate our country, who are seeking to blaspheme God and destroy our country? Own it. Oh yes, I intend to make this a Christian nation. Yes, I intend to see every man, woman, and child confess Christ as Lord. I intend to see biblical law, the law of our land, and I'm not even a theonomist. But God's law is the perfect law. His moral standard is the standard. No, I don't want America to become an Israel. I don't believe America is the second Israel. But I believe that every nation should look to the God who defines good and evil and his revelation of that definition of good and evil in his law and to then make their laws from his law. And that's what we did at the foundation of our country. That's where this prosperity has come from. That's where the idea of the Creator. And when our forefathers said that, they meant the God of the Bible, the Creator of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, male and female, He created them. That's the God they spoke of. Our Creator has given us Certain unalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's the Declaration of Independence. Is that not worth celebrating? Is that not a wee bit of Christian nationalism on Independence Day in the Declaration of Independence? Yes. Is that not our nation's founding document and, in many ways, doctrine? That we are all creatures created by the Creator and thus... Equal as creatures beneath God. And thus have certain inalienable rights, the right to life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. But even as we sang today, even as I sang today, that our liberties must be bound by God's law or our liberties become madness. Our liberties become abuses against our fellow man, against women against children. You can't legislate morality as a Christian. Oh, we must legislate morality as a Christian. Without Christianity, without the Word of God, there is no morality. There's only societal preference. And the things that our society is preferring today are abominable. They're unconscionable. I truly never thought we'd live to see the evil we are seeing today as perverts parade themselves in streets with little children out there being taught perversion by them. And grandma and mommy and daddy and grandpa standing along the side of the pervert parade, smiling as if this was a beautiful family scene. Grandma and grandpa and mommy and daddy should all be arrested And the children taken from them. Public child abuse of the worst kind. Go therefore, said Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. You want Christian nationalism? You need go no further than the Great Commission. Go to all the nations. Make them disciples and teach them to obey me. That's what Jesus said. That's our job.
Go to every nation. Call them to bend their knee to Christ. Confess Him as Lord and follow Him as Lord, learning to obey all that He's commanded. That's our job. That's the Great Commission. And it's the failure of Christ's church to embrace Christian nationalism, the Great Commission, that every nation would bend its knee to Christ as Lord, that has resulted in what we now have, which is a post-Christian nation rising up against its God and seeking to destroy its Christian foundation, seeking to destroy its biblical foundation from within. We aren't being destroyed from enemies outside of us. We're being destroyed by enemies within. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. See, we get all gospely, we get all spiritual, and suddenly a uh, national nation, oh, no, 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 those two don't connect. That can't be. Oh, wait, really? A bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. And all of that is Super spiritual, glorious doctrinal truth. And I'd love to preach it all to you, but I don't have time. Let's get to the point of today's message. For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. That's the goal of the gospel. That's why Paul was called to be an apostle. He was called to be an apostle to bring the nations into obedience to the faith. For his name. That's what Romans 1 opens up with. Social media was full of this week. Preacher, they're lecturing me. Preacher, you be sure to preach the word of God Sunday. Don't you be preaching Independence Day. Don't you be preaching about America or freedom. You preach the word of God. Well, there's not much more central to the word of God than the Great Commission. And the Great Commission has a whole lot to say about subduing nations beneath the lordship of Christ, bringing them into obedience to the faith, obedience to Christ, teaching them to observe all things that he has commanded. Most of the church doesn't like that, though. Most of the church is called off the Great Commission. They like to give it lip service, but they're not making the Great Commission great again at all because they will not go there for You'll never find them in the city square. You'll never find them at the riverfront. You'll never find them at the parade. You'll never find them at the schoolyard or the university yard. You'll never find them at the abortion clinic. You'll never find them anywhere lost sinners are perishing, preaching Christ crucified. For all intents and purposes, they're getting their best self-centered, self-loving life now. They're busy drinking their lattes, earning their money for their next latte. And if they're celebrating freedom, it's freedom to earn more money, to play more golf, to, to shoot more guns. I play a little golf. I like to shoot guns. But that's not why I'm on the planet. That's not why I live, breathe, and exist on this planet. I live, I breathe, I exist for the glory of Christ and the redemption of sinners. That's why we're here. I like to have fun. I enjoy the... Side benefits of prosperity. Oh, yes. But I'm not arguing to make America great again simply to buy more guns and ammo, to play more golf, maybe to buy a boat, do some water skiing, or buy that new Bronco I've got my eye on. No, that's not it. The prosperity we enjoy, the freedom we enjoy, is to be spent for the glory of Christ to further the faith in the earth, that Christ be glorified in the redemption of sinners, that all men, all nations, be brought to obedience to the faith. As Paul wrote in Romans 1.5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Of course, Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. We tend to think of that in a very personal way, and we should. We tend to use it in personal evangelism, as we should. 
But think about it in the broader scope. Jesus suffered, died, rose again, and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I'm not just an ultra maga. I'm an ultra cosmos. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? Individuals of all the nations. Baptize them. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. Think of Romans 10.9, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus in that broader spectrum, in that broader goal. Not just the personal evangelism goal, not just the individual. We do want to see the nations bend their knee to Christ. I'm not post-mill. I'm not all-mill. I'm not a theonomist. I'm a biblicist. Our goal is to see every knee bend And hear every tongue confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Our goal is to subdue the savage nations. And all nations without Christ are savage. White, brown, black, doesn't matter. We are descending into savagery right now. Here in America. We just had a whole month of savagery. And it's everywhere. Like never before. It is everywhere. Savage perversion. Savaging children's bodies. From the inside, chemically, and from the outside, with knives. Our own state. At the age of 15, in this evil state of Oregon, at the age of 15, you parents have no rights. So says the state, not God. And the state will fund these evil things. Romans 15. Romans 15, hear this. This is really going to make the anti-Christian nationalists mad. Romans 15. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Oh, them's fighting words. To make the Gentiles obedient. Yeah, I, I want to see our neighbors who are dying in their sins saved out of mercy, out of grace, out of love for them. I also want to see our neighbors who are savages and blasphemers, rebels against God and acting out their rebellion in the cruelest ways, the ugliest and most perverse ways. I want to see them made obedient to Christ. Oh, that, that's not nice. What about free will? Well, I'm happy that my will is not free. I'm happy that God interrupted my free will so that I didn't, rush headlong all the way to hell. And I pray for my neighbors that God will interrupt their free will and grant them repentance and faith and they'll become due loss of Christ and be made obedient to the faith. Look to Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So what's the goal from the beginning of Romans to the end of Romans to make all nations obedient to the faith? To make the Gentiles obedient. That they too would become bond servants of Jesus Christ like the Apostle Paul, like you and I. That they too would come beneath He who has all authority and He who sent us into the world to defy the authorities of these nations that say you cannot preach that name. You cannot preach that law. You can't preach that bigotry here. We disallow it. Sorry. I'm going to obey God. You're just a man and an evil one at that. And I counsel you to repent because your life is frail and very brief. And soon you will stand before your God, the God, the only God there is, and you'll give an account for your wicked life, for your rebellion against your creator whom you know, even though you suppress what you know in unrighteousness. Repent, for judgment is coming. Confess Christ as Lord and be saved in this hour of his mercy. For soon his hour of mercy will be over and he will come with the sword of his mouth and you will be cut down. 
and cast beneath his judgment forever. God-hating leftist tyrants will never learn to fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, says Proverbs 1.7, is the beginning of wisdom. Without God, we are fools. Sin makes us fools. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. God-hating leftist tyrants will never learn to fear God when God's people cower before them, unduly passive to the constant advances of evil leftist tyranny and silence. For love of God and love of neighbor, we must refuse to silently submit to the tyranny of those bent on turning our children against God, against the Bible, against Christ's church, against truth, against sanity, against gender as a reality, against their own God-given gender, against marriage, one man, one woman for life, against their mother and father, and against their nation, against their nation's God-given constitution and against their nation's foundational biblical worldview. You understand that? The leftist tyrants are coming for it all. All of it. Because our nation is built on a biblical foundation. They're coming for our nation. They're coming for our flag. They're coming for our constitution. They're coming for the three branches and the separation of power, checks and balances. They're coming for mom and dad. They're coming for parental authority in many states like ours, they have already greatly advanced on that field of battle. They're coming for boys and girls. Oh, they're still coming for babies, despite Roe versus Wade being overturned. They're still coming for the unborn. And without revival in our land, Roe versus Wade being overturned or not, they'll come with another law. They'll come with another judicial decree, unrighteous judicial decree, that supposedly lends us the constitutional right to slaughter our children. Without revival in our land, all we do is put up a bit of a speed bump. Praise God for the demise of Roe v. Wade. But without Christians standing up and fighting for the nation, that the nation would be subdued, that the Gentiles would become obedient to Christ, then the leftist tyranny will descend, the God-hating Child-abusing, Christian-criminalizing, leftist tyranny will descend. It will descend. I remind you again, and you'll hear it. You'll hear it in the months ahead until the Lord grants revival. I remind you again, both the left and the so-called right, both the liberal and the so-called conservative in Canada voted to outlaw conversion from homosexuality, meaning you can't preach the Word of God. You can't teach the Word of God. Meaning even parents who say, no, no, over my dead body, they become criminals against the state and both the left and the so-called right. Both the liberal and the so-called conservative in Canada voted that into law, and it will be here in less than a decade if there is not revival. I can't actually truly imagine what will be here, neither can you, in less than a decade if there is not revival. November will not save us. President Trump will not save us. By all means, we need to vote righteously for the best candidate who can win, who best ascribes to the biblical worldview in every election. But that will not stop the advance of this evil. Only the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ will May God give us more bold-hearted reformers like George Wishart, who trained up the likes of John Knox and boldly prayed, Give me Scotland or I die. No one stood up then and accused him. And hear me, until recently, no one would accuse someone who quoted him of supporting the evil of Christian nationalism. He said, Give me Scotland or I die. I've heard that quoted again and again and again by great preachers. But today they would pull back because we wouldn't want to sound like a Christian nationalist. Oh, yes, I do. I do want to sound like a Christian nationalist. John Knox prayed, Give me Scotland or I die. And God did, by and large, give him Scotland. And they have a rich, rich Christian heritage because of it. Because he had a vision for Scotland and he wouldn't be satisfied with, Lord, give me a soul maybe perhaps between rounds of golf. No. Give me Scotland or I die. 
I'm here for Scotland. I'm here to take this nation for Christ. If I'm not here for that, then let me die, Lord. It's that kind of great commission, passion, prayer, heart for the nation that subdues nations. It turns back the evil, whether it's the evil of Roman Catholicism that Knox was facing, or the evil of God-hating leftist tyranny that we face today. It's that same heart. John Knox didn't learn stuffy academic or safely neutered Reformed theology and ministry from his martyred mentor who was burned at the stake by the Catholic Church and laid in an inglorious grave that now lies in spot 23 in Edinburgh, Scotland, in a parking lot. I've been there. I had to wait for a car to move so I could take a picture of where this, this Christian hero, George Wishart, who schooled John Knox and how to fight a good fight to win a nation, where John Wishart is buried ingloriously. Knox carried a two-handed broadsword around Scotland as a Reformation warrior bodyguard protecting Wishart as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ both in churches and in the open air in defiance of the Catholic Church and government authorities. In order to allow the preacher to preach without getting killed, Knox carried a double-handed broadsword. This seminal experience in Knox's life was like an infusion of red-hot reformed theological steel being pumped into Knox's spine. He wasn't an ivory tower Reformation theologian. He was a Reformation warrior. We like to talk about Reformation heroes. We like to read quotes of antiquity, but we don't want to emulate them in our day. We're not under the tyranny of Rome today, but much of the world, much of South America, much of Africa, the entire continent of Asia with few exceptions, more and more of Europe, and more and more hearts in the United States of America are well beneath leftist tyranny. When Knox put down his earthly broadsword, he took up the sword of the Spirit, His courageous preaching and prayers could not be contained within the four walls of the church. They set the Catholic world and its soul-damning antichrist sacramental system of works righteousness on fire. The Roman Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, gave this unintended compliment to Knox. I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Catholic tyranny and heresy could not stand the fire and hammer the word of God preached and prayed by the preacher, hear me, leftist tyranny is an affront to God. We as Christians, as subjects of the King of Kings, oppose leftist tyranny. We as American Christians oppose leftist tyranny because we want America to be beneath King Jesus. We need to be conscious of the fight we're in. The fight Christ has called us To fight. And hear me, in a brief time, there will be no place to hide. On the planet, much less in these United States of America, there will be no place to hide from leftist tyranny. These little governors, who by and large, while some of them are fighting a better fight, fighting a fight that's commendable in many ways, they're not fighting the fight with the weapons of war the Lord has given us. And they too will fall. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The word of God is our weapon. The word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. No, it will only make them mad. Yes, it will make many mad until the Lord grants them repentance. And hear me, they're already mad. They're mad in their sin. And the madness of their sin must be interrupted. And some of them will rage as their leftist tyrants are telling them to rage. Rage against the Christian nationalists who are subjugating you. Meaning not allowing you to slaughter your children. 
Their rage is coming. They firebombed the Portland Pregnancy Resource Center. Just after Roe versus Wade was overturned, a group of Antifa BLMers put on their black garb and attacked the Henson Memorial Baptist Church in Portland. They were in the process of boarding it up because they had been told that they might be attacked. They received intelligence that they were coming. The police knew this was going to happen. The police did nothing. These terrorists came. They broke the windows that were not boarded. They spray painted the church with things like, if you're going to take our freedom to slaughter our children, they said it in their own words, mind you, um, if we're not safe to abort our children, you're not safe either. They committed their crime. They wrote their terrorist slogans and they walked away, stuffing their black garb into backpacks, got in their cars and drove off. They all could have been arrested. No arrests have been made. Why? Because our city is ruled by a leftist tyrant. And Antifa, that's his army. BLM, that's his army. This is an uprising against God. And BLM and their Antifa friends, likely the same people, different day, are the leftist tyrant's army. And they will come for you. It won't be just in the heart of the city. They will come to the suburbs. They will come for us. And they won't just come with spray paint and rocks if this uprising against God and state is not put down. Wishart taught Knox to fear God alone and no earthly power by preaching the gospel fearlessly in the face of certain persecution and likely martyrdom at the hands of tyrannical Catholic authorities. Knox learned his lesson well and helped raise up an army of Reformed preachers who freed Scotland from the tyranny of Roman Catholic rule and heresy by courageously preaching the word of God in the pulpit and on the street. May God raise up men today with the resolute steel in their spines that is necessary to do the same in our age of leftist tyranny, who will fearlessly preach God's law, God's gospel in America's pulpits and in America's streets in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ's great commission and in defiance of today's secular atheist anarchist, Marxist, Black Lives Matter, homosexual activist, baby genocide supporting, child perverting and mutilating, God-hating leftist tyrants. May God-hating tyrants in every age, under every flag they fly, learn the beginning of wisdom, the fear of God from preachers who fear nothing but Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's my job. America's founding fathers Reference the Bible more than any other source in their writings between 1760 and 1805. Tell me, this is not a Christian nation by heritage. Our constitutional liberties are a direct result of the founders' moral and religious convictions, which were based on a belief in the holy creator God of the Bible who created the heavens, the earth, all life, and mankind as the pinnacle of his creation and his image and fixed the moral laws that govern men just as he certainly has fixed the laws of nature that govern the material universe. The profoundly pervasive presence and influence of the biblical worldview in America's first Continental Congress is abundantly evident in America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence, that clearly proclaims, quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident. You'd have to cry, stop, stop, just there. In today's America, you said truth. What is truth? Today's America, our spiritual descendants of Pilate, what is truth? truth. Today's politicians, today's leaders, but our founders said we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. That is worth celebrating. 
It goes on to reference, quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God and closes by, quote, appealing to the supreme judge of the world and declaring the signers, quote, reliance on the protection of divine providence. The founders' prolific use of Christian rhetoric and argument becomes even more evident when you take a look at other statements of the colonial rights and concerns such as the Suffolk Resolves, the Declaration of Rights, the Declaration of Causes and Necessity of Taking Up Arms, and the many explicitly Christian calls for prayer, fasting, and thanksgiving issued by the Continental and Confederation Congresses. On July 8th, 1776, just after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin, not a Christian, but very much evidencing the influence of the biblical worldview that dominated the thinking of America's founding fathers, suggested the seal and motto to characterize our brand new nation should be Moses lifting up his staff, dividing the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his chariot being overwhelmed by the waters with this motto emblazoned below, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. You want a Christian bumper sticker? There's one. I mean, John 3.36 is excellent. John 3.18 is wonderful. But rebellion to tyrants, tyrants who defy God, tyrants who defy your king, Tyrants who demand you defy God and defy your king, Jesus. Yes, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Ultra-maga white Christian nationalism. Ultra-make America great again. It's the insurrectionist Biden who added the ultra to MAGA And President Trump owned it. He didn't back up. He said, ultra, I like it. I'll take it. I like it. I'll take it. Ultra, make America great again. Yeah, I'm ultra. I'm all in, 100%. Because what made America great was the grace of God and the biblical foundation of America. So I am 100% ultra MAGA. And I happen to be white. But again, you are a white Christian nationalist, whether you're white, brown, or black or any shade thereof. As Christians, our king is Christ. Second to Christ and always beneath Christ, as Americans, our king is the Constitution. And the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The First Amendment is written to establish our Christian freedom, that the government would not infringe upon it, upon our speech. We think of freedom of speech, and we often think of secular speech, but it follows no respecting the establishment of religion, which isn't establishing separation of church and state. It's just saying the government shall not establish a religion, a denomination. It's not prohibiting public expressions of faith, or prayer. And praise God, President Donald Trump's Supreme Court just ruled this last week that yes, prayer is back in schools. That is a grace of God. That is a kindness of God. That is bringing a nation in subjection to Christ instead of encoding and enforcing atheism. There's no God. We do not recognize God the public school system. We do not recognize God in government. We don't recognize God in Congress. John Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence, was a judge, was a diplomat, was one of two signers of the Bill of Rights, and was the second president of the United States. Again, under the idea of making America great again, returning to our biblical foundation, John Adams said this, The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. John Adams said this, The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will vow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Oh yes, I am ultra MAGA. 
John Adams said elsewhere, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with what? The principles of Christianity. Oh yes, I am ultra MAGA Christian nationalist. Absolutely. Like John Adams. Like John Adams. How shameful to back up when God hitting leftist tyrants are pressing us and throwing these, oh, terrible accusations. You're a Christian nationalist! Wagging their finger at us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you recognize that. Yes, indeed, I am. John Adams said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. When he says religious, he means Christian. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He said, I have examined all religions, and the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. John Adams said the 4th of July, Independence Day, ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. (gasps) Hear me. Hear me. This is a Christian holiday. This is a Christian nationalist holiday. Celebrated as such. I will not celebrate freedom. I will not celebrate Independence Day. I will not celebrate God's providence in giving us this glorious constitution that has created the freest and most prosperous Christian nation the world has ever known with people who hate God. And are coming to take away our freedoms and enslave us to leftist tyranny. No, I will not. Nor should you. Nor should you. Hear John Adams again. Independence Day ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It's not 4th of July fireworks day. It's not a celebration celebration of gunpowder. And explosions. It's a celebration worthy of gunpowder and explosions as we celebrate God's grace. In what? In um, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. This is a Christian holiday. This is a Christian holiday nation, or tragically, a post-Christian nation, a nation with a Christian foundation, a nation with a foundation we should return to, which is why we are ultra-maga Christian nationalists. That is a boast, not a shame. John Adams said elsewhere, the safety and prosperity of nations ultimately and essentially depend on the protection and blessing of Almighty God, and the national acknowledgement of this truth is an indispensable duty which the people owe to him. We recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. John Adams. Abigail Adams, Mrs. Adams, the second first lady, said the scriptures tell us righteousness exalteth a nation. Oh, another Christian nationalist. And that Christian nationalist raised John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, a diplomat, secretary of state, U.S. senator, U.S. representative, said this, My hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ, and I cannot cavil or quibble away the whole tenor of his conduct by which he sometimes positively asserted and another countenances permits his disciples in asserting that he was God. The hope of a Christian is inseparable from his faith. Whoever believes in the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures must hope that the religion of Jesus shall prevail throughout the earth. Never since the foundation of the world have the prospects of mankind been more encouraging to that hope than they appear to be at the present time. And may the associated distribution of the Bible proceed and prosper to the Lord shall have made, quote, bear his Holy arm in the eyes of all nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52, 10. And he continues, In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. 
the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Christian nationalism there in John Quincy Adams. Where did he learn that? Well, from his mother and his father and the other founders of our nation. How about Samuel Adams? Let's keep it in the family. Signer of the Declaration of Independence, father of the American Revolution, ratifier of the U.S. Constitution, governor of Massachusetts. Samuel Adams said this, I rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon for all my sins. I conceive we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly supplicating the supreme ruler of the world that the confusions that are and have been among the nations may be overruled by the promoting and speedy, speedily bringing in the holy and happy period when the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established and the people willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace. We have this day, the 4th of July, Independence Day, restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven. And from the rising of the setting sun, let his kingdom come. This is what he wrote after he signed the Declaration of Independence. He said, we have this day restored the sovereign to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven. And from the rising of the setting sun, let his kingdom come. Samuel Adams said elsewhere, the rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great law giver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. Well, I could go on and on. How about John Dickinson, signer of the Constitution, governor of Pennsylvania, governor of Delaware, general in the American Revolution. He says, rendering thanks to my creator, for my existence and station among his works, for my birth in a country enlightened by the gospel and enjoying freedom, and for all his other kindness to him, I resign myself, humbly confiding in his goodness and his mercy through Jesus Christ for the events of eternity. Elsewhere, he said, governments could not give the rights essential to happiness. We claim them from a higher source, from the King of Kings and from the Lord of the earth. John Hancock, there's a familiar name. John Hancock, signer of the Declaration of Independence, President of Congress, Revolutionary General, Governor of Massachusetts. John Hancock said, Sensible of the importance of Christian piety and virtue to the order and happiness of a state, I cannot but earnestly commend to you every measure for their support and encouragement. He called on the entire state to, quote, Pray that universal happiness may be established in the world and that all may bow to the scepter of our Lord Jesus Christ and the whole earth be filled with His glory. Well, that sounds a lot like those opening scriptures I read, that, you know, that unfamiliar text, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Romans 1, Romans 15, Romans 16, that all the nations of the earth would bow before the scepter of the Lord Jesus Christ and the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Patrick Henry, one more notable name, revolutionary general, legislator of the Voice of Liberty, ratifier of the U.S. Constitution, governor of Virginia. Patrick Henry said, Being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world can boast. The Bible's a book worth more than all the other books that were ever printed. Righteousness alone can exalt a nation, whoever thou art. Remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. Elsewhere, he said, the great pillars of all government and all social life are virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us, America, invincible. Time is escaping me. These quotes are precious. If you want them for your own edification, I can get them to you. They go on and on and on. The quotes of our founding fathers who founded our nation upon the word of God upon the lordship, the kingship, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Were they all Christians? Oh, no. Oh, no. But nearly to a man, they all ascribed to a biblical worldview, and a great many of them were genuine, born-again, gospel-loving Christians, your brothers, and many of their wives, your sisters. The gospel war is raging, saints, but most of the church is too busy sipping Starbucks, eating Chick-fil-A, like good Christians on Sunday now, right? And working hard to get their version of a Joel Osteen, best life now, 
to even show up to the gospel fight. Pastor James Coates was released from jail in Canada a few months ago, and we rejoiced in that as a tremendous blessing. It was cause for celebration, but nothing to be celebrated as a far broader victory for Christ's church against growing anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-church, anti-family, anti-freedom, leftist tyranny in the West. Most of the biblical Reformed Baptist evangelical church still doesn't get the reality and gravity of the situation. If we don't take Christ's gospel war to the world and the highways and byways, they're going to bring Satan's war to us in our Christian churches and Bible-believing homes. If we won't go, therefore, and turn the world upside down for Christ, preaching Him, His law, His judgment, His hell, His gospel, and His heaven in the open air and in the city square, at the riverfront, on the street corner, at the abortuary, on college and high school campuses, and anywhere else perishing sinners are gathered, this God-hating situation satanic world system and their BLM, Antifa, communist insurrection army are coming to turn the western world, our nations, our states, our cities, our churches, our homes, and our families upside down. If God's gospel army doesn't repent of crying peace, peace, when there is no peace and march to war to advance Christ's kingdom in the hearts of men, Satan's, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, hordes will soon shut down our peace-loving Jesus rallies in which we sing and preach of the greatness of Jesus and His gospel, but are ashamed to go and preach the greatness of Jesus and His gospel to the God-hating, Jesus-mocking, gospel-despising world of perishing sinners all around us. A year ago, you might have thought that was overstated. If you don't see the reality of that today, then your eyes aren't open. Don't be fooled or lured into complacency by a momentary victory in Roe versus Wade. That is a taste of what could be, of what could be, if we would stand up and fight a good fight for Christ and look to see our nation subdued beneath King Jesus. If we would cry out like John Knox, give me America or I die, and not fear being accused of being one of those loathsome and dangerous Christian nationalists. Oh, we must go, therefore, and subdue the nations, beginning with our own. And America has no business sending missionaries any longer. I call halt and sending missionaries, except they send them to Portland, Oregon. Now, I'll raise my hand. Send missionaries to Portland, Oregon, Texas, Florida, Idaho, South Dakota. We're not moving to conservative states and building walls. We used to send missionaries to heathen nations. Well, we have heathen states. We need to fight a good fight for the state we're in, for the nation we're in. Not flee our nation, not flee our state, not flee our city, but fight a good fight for the glory of Christ and the redemption of sinners and believe that our God is the same God who subdued Nineveh, who subdued Scotland, who once subdued a continent called America and who will do it again as faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God if he so wills it. If your eschatology is compelling you to retreat instead of advance, then I'd tell you to stop studying eschatology and start studying the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. Start studying the book of Acts. Do not retreat. That's not our call. Do not live safe. That's not Christ's command. It's exactly the opposite. He commands us to die. Die to self. Take up the cross, a cruel instrument of torturous death, and to follow him. But today, so many churches, so many Christians are doing the exact opposite. And thus, evil advances on every front daily. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, celebrate Independence Day heartily as a Christian holiday. Celebrate what God has done historically and what God is doing presently and what God will do as every Christian stands up and marches as to war, following King Jesus, who said, Lo, 
I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. After he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Do you want to be with Jesus? Then be in the fight. That's where he is. That's where he promises to be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those who risked everything for the freedom that we now enjoy to serve you, to raise our families up to serve you. We thank you, Father, for men and women who suffered and died for these freedoms. We thank you, Father, for this nation. We thank you for our Constitution. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May we be messengers of that grace as messengers of your law and your gospel. Raise us up as the army of Christ. And Father, give us the heart of John Knox that we would cry out to you, give us America or we die. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.